Isaiah 57. It shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with those who are contrite and humble in spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not continually accuse, nor will I always be angry. For then the spirits would grow faint before me, even the souls that I have made. Because of their wicked covetousness, I was angry. I struck them. I hid and was angry, but they kept turning back to their own ways. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will lead them and repay them with comfort, creating for their mourners the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and the near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea that cannot keep still. Its waters toss up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. This is the word of the Lord. Well, now I'm all distracted from my task at hand. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. And I actually do, uh, I, I actually did want to start this sermon just by thinking about traveling together, since I think a lot of us are thinking about traveling this summer. Let me just make sure this works. Okay, it works. That's good. Um, because I feel like traveling has changed a lot over the years, even though sort of 20 years when Jody and I first went on our honeymoon uh, and went to South America together, it was so different, especially because like uh, getting around is just different. Uh, I remember, and I've, sh I've shared this before, but in Latin America, we were constantly getting lost, and we had a rule in Latin America that you had to ask, you kept asking people for directions until three people agreed. Right? Because no one said, yeah, Umberto's laughing. Because no one says, like, I don't know where that is. They say, oh, yeah, that's up there and to the left and to the street. And they just, and you go there and you're like, now I'm even more lost. So you had to keep asking until, so it's just, and also, like, I'm cheap. And so we go places, like, we go to Manuel Antonio in Costa Rica. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's like, there's all these sloths in the trees and uh, there's monkeys around. And you can hire a guide. Um, but then you have to like walk with them and like listen to everything they say, and I want to do that. So what I would do is I would just kind of hang around because I don't want to, you know, I only want the parts that. I, so I would just kind of hang around, and when there would be a guide who'd be interesting, I'd just kind of like sidle up to him and I'd be like, listen, and like, oh yeah, there's a sloth up there. Oh yeah, they are mating. Okay, that's a true story. I won't, I won't make any sloth mating jokes, but. Like, how you get around is just really interesting, and now things have changed because in so many places, you just use GPS, right? The danger of being lost is just so much less. You just drive up into some new place, you make sure you have your SIM card that works in that country, and like, bam, you just say, okay, Google, go to wherever it is, and you're there, right? Unless you go to China, in which case some of it might be filtered, right? If you're like, I mean, go to Tiananmen Square where, you know, the, the filters might not allow you to do that. So it's kind of interesting. Even with the internet, and not that we have filters in the United States, you know. But I just think it's interesting because um, honestly, like this is my filter for this, uh, this text that we're looking at today. It's this idea of God as our guide, right? So like when we travel around, we need guides. And according to the scriptures, oh, I said, okay, Google, and my phone lighted up. <laughs> come back, come back. Thank you. Um, 
In this passage, we see this, this beautiful picture in Isaiah of Yahweh as a guide. Um, talking about in the beginning, it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way. And that was actually a literal way, because remember, Israel has been, they have been, refu- they have been like exiles for many years, and now they're refugees coming back. So when it says prepare the way, that means like how are people going to get who are still in exile in Babylon, how are they going to make that long journey back to Jerusalem? So God, that's, like, that's not metaphorical there. That's like literal. Like how do they get back? How is God going to guide them? And as the passage continues, there's, this, there's a bunch of stuff, but there's this promise that God will lead them. God will lead these exiles back. And that's both literal and sort of spiritual. Like how do you rebuild your life when... You've never even, like maybe, maybe folks speak Babylonian only, you know, like they have no idea, they've never been to Jerusalem, and they're going to rebuild their lives there. And the promise of God here is that God is going to lead them in that place. It's almost like a new exodus. Remember when Israel was, where they were slaves in Egypt and God led them back to the promised land? It's like it's happening again. This is this promise of God to be their guide, to be their leader. So this is, it's kind of a beautiful emphasis on God's um, sort of solidarity with the humble refugees. Look at what the passage says here in verse 15. He says, I dwell in a high and holy place. This is sort of God's amazing transcendence, but also with those who are contrite and humble in spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite. And that's a thing we see all through the Old Testament. Like God is great in majesty, but he cares especially about the least of these, those who have been forgotten, those who have been left behind. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited we're sort of going through Isaiah this summer. This sort of beautiful juxtaposition between the, the, the mystery and power of God and the way God cares so much and wants to comfort, like the, just the small, the, the, the small pains and brokenness in our life. And really, that's why, we, that's why I, I really chose Isaiah for us this summer. Um, but what we want to do is really be led by the scripture. So this week, um, we have a little bit of a curveball in this kind of beautiful, uh, comforting, evocative imagery that fills up Isaiah so much. Because look at verse 16 here. Uh, All of a sudden, the tone changes a little bit. God says, I will not continually accuse, nor will I always be angry. Like, well, who brought up anger? You know, oh, let's let's take a look here. God talks about accusing them. He he talks about times he's been angry. He talks about in the past, because of their wicked covetousness, I was angry. I struck them. I hid because I was angry. All these kind of very sort of negative tone stuff, like, whoa, God's mad. He's, but then in the end there, he's back for the comforting. He's going to heal them. He's going to lead them. He's going he's to bring them comfort. All these things. It's almost like this kind of schizophrenic approach. Like, is he angry? Is he comforting? What's coming next? I don't know. And so I'm actually really struck by Isaiah in general, because this is very characteristic of the whole book. Uh, Isaiah's narrative... Uh, trajectory, you might say, is super herky-jerky like that. It's like, comfort, comfort my people, because I'm angry! And you're like, whoa, what's happening? In fact, in all the major sections, um, God sort of ends with this, this warning against, uh, against, like, there is no peace for the wicked, right? There's peace, peace, yes, that's available, but there's no peace for the wicked. So, honestly, the secret of this sermon is that I've chosen the nice part of Isaiah 57 for your consumption. But coming before, there was all of this like more challenging part, which appears all of the time in the prophetic literature. So I guess the secret of this sermon is in the hidden part that we didn't read, but I do want to like bring that up. I want to show it to you. 
And here it is. And uh, it's actually, I, I used the same background that Deanna made for us for the Hosea series because it's such a different tone. Um, and so you, you look here and you see, uh, like, let's, let's read through just some of it. Yahweh says, or Isaiah says, that Yahweh says to us, But as for you, come here, you children of a sorceress, you offspring of an adulterer and a whore. Who are you mocking? Against whom do you open your tongue wide and stick out your tongue? You are not children of transgressions. The offspring, are you not children of transgression? The offspring of deceit, you that burn with lust among the oaks, under every green tree, you that slaughter your children in the valleys, under the clefts of the rocks. Wow, that's a really different tone. And they continue with, what, what this basically is, is it's this kind of condemnation, this challenge against people that are uh, living out idolatrous practices. They're actually following the Canaanite traditional religions, which would have been really normal, right? Imagine there's this religion that follows the one true God, and then they just happen to get like defeated, their temple destroyed, and brought off into exile. That is not a good advertisement for your religion. Right? So people are like, if that Yahweh thing ever worked, it's pretty much not working now. We're going back to these idols. And so in, in the promised land around Jerusalem, nobody's worshiping Yahweh anymore. And when Israel starts coming back, they're like, this seems to work better. I don't know. And so Isaiah is really upset about that. And he says God is like calling people out. And he's calling them to not, uh, he's calling them to not go into all those practices. So for the next, you know, I'm going to spare you all of the, 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 the bloody, gory details but God is calling them out from all the different ways that they are worshiping all these idols and all the different practices they have. I'd encourage you to look at it. I think it's interesting once you get to verse 10 here, uh, God actually, is, you get a little bit of God's heart. Like, why is this such a big deal? Is this just like um, sort of a, you know, your imp, your, is this religious impropriety? And I'm very upset. It actually has to do with God's very identity as a guide again. He identifies, he says, but you grew weary from your very wanderings. God is like, this is not working out for you. You're wandering around. I'm trying to lead you, and it's, it's tiring you out. These idols are not working. But you say it is useless. You, so you found your desire rekindled, and so you did not weaken. And he continues. Uh, you see kind of the personal insult almost. Like, whom did you dread and so fear that you lied and did not remember me or give me a thought? Have I not kept silent and closed my eyes so you did not fear me? Um, so I just think it's, a, it's an interesting section. It's a section in which God as guide kind of comes out, and God actually resorts to, like, name-calling. God's speaking super strongly. And so I think my theme for tonight, actually, as we go through Scripture, because I've really, I, I want you to, I want to say again, like, we didn't choose this passage because I had some sort of secret agenda. We just wanted to expose ourselves to Scripture and see what God would say each week. And of course, I knew all these, all these beautiful passages. And then all of a sudden, here's like 57, you offspring of an adulterer and a whore. Thanks be to God. You know, what do you say? And I feel like this keeps coming up in the prophetic literature, right? I don't know if some of you were around for our series in Hosea, one of the other Hebrew prophets. And I chose that because of some of the beautiful imagery that was there. But there were also all these challenging passages. And I remember preaching those, and I remember going through it together, and I could just sort of feel the air coming out of the room. You're like, thanks, this is really what we need in our life, like more name-calling and challenging. And I think it's especially hard for our own culture, um, as like, I think we've learned to be very gentle with each other. 
and to be very sort of kind and careful and to not do any kind of, I mean, you know, like, like I was talking to Rachel the other day, she's a yoga instructor, and they teach, in the, in the yoga class, they teach them how to like, you know, if you're like an old stiff guy like me and I'm totally doing it wrong, like I'm trying to do a downward dog here, if you can believe that, like what she's taught to do would not be to say like, you're doing it wrong, do it like that. You don't directly say that, right? You say something like, well, maybe if you move kind of like this, you'll be even more comfortable. <laughs> like, yes, like, is that right? See, I can be a yoga instructor now. Maybe not. So, you know what I mean? We, we, we know how to sort of not be so harsh. And so, here we get Psalm, we, here we get Isaiah 57 this week. You know, Tim gets to preach on Isaiah 58 next week, which is going to be good. But here we have Psalm 50, or Psalm, sorry, Isaiah 57. So I guess what I really want to ask us this week is, why is this here? How should we hear these kinds of passages? Because honestly, if you go through the Hebrew prophets, which are powerful and beautiful, about half of it is passages like this. If you're a Bible reader, if you expect to hear from God, you're going to encounter passages like this over and over again. So how do we respond to that? Is this just something like God's kind of a downer or God's just angry and needs to get a, you know, an anger management kind of issue? Is this like an abuse of authority? What's really going on? I guess what I want to do is in, the, in, in, in this, the rest of this talk, I'd like to make a case for not filtering out passages like this. Um, I'd like to make a case for this actually being an expression of God's love for us and God's desire to guide us as well. Does that make sense? How can we read this in such a way that we actually see this as Yahweh, God's passionate love for us? How can we receive this kind of thing and even welcome it and be excited about it? And I think we can get to this. Oops, sorry. There we go. Um, we can get to this if we think about uh, the way we need God's guidance. And I think a lot of us really long for guidance from God. Uh, we, want, we're, we know making our way through life, there's all these challenges, there's all these freedoms, all these questions. Should I take the job? Should I marry this guy? Why am I not? You know, all these questions that we have. And we seek God's guidance. In fact, I, I know from long experience that if you have a bunch of, you know, Christian seminars and they're on various topics, you know, if you're like mean passages from the Hebrew prophets, like no one will come to that. If you're like, Hearing the will of God in your life, everybody comes to that, right? We want that. We want this kind of guidance. And so oftentimes we experience this kind of guidance at those moments of like crossroads in our life when we know like, God, which way should I go? Should I take the job? Should I not take the job? And that's when we sort of gather our friends, when we, we do listening prayer. We, we seek that and we should. Super important. And so we, when what we want is this peace from God. Um, we want this, this picture of peace. We want this shalom that God is offering to us. What I would say about these kind of challenging passages is that they're a chance for God to guide us when we're not just at the crossroads, but actually when we just might be off the trail and we don't even know we're off the trail, right? It's one thing to be on a, you know, you're hiking down the trail and you're like, oh, do I go right or left? It's another thing to need a guide when you don't even know you're off the trail and there's like poison ivy ahead or like there's actually a large waterfall you might fall off. You need someone to say like, get back on the trail. And I think that's what these pictures of, that's what, that's what Isaiah 57, these verses 3 through 13 are really about. They're about the possibility of God's guidance in our life, 
not just at crucial junctures, but sort of all the time, um, calling us back onto the way that is right. Let me share, let me share a couple examples of, uh, of what I mean. I guess, I guess for me, to be really honest, uh, I feel like I've experienced this a lot in my relationship with God, and I'm really grateful for it. I feel like I have, uh, one of the things I'm most grateful for in my relationship with God is, is the way I can, I feel like God says like really harsh things for me, but I really receive it as love. I, I don't know why, it just, maybe it's because it, the, from the very early times in my faith, I really felt a lot of security in God's love for me. And so that when I heard something hard, I, would, I could just, almost like a, like a harsh basketball coach, you know, that tells you, like, you suck. And you're like, yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I, I don't, and I don't think it's dysfunctional. I think it's a little bit Isaiah 57-like. And I, I guess that's why I think there's something in this passage for us. And even any kind of passage like this is called to challenge, is called to actually God's guidance when we haven't even asked for it. When, you know, you haven't paid for the guide to show you the sloss, but when the guide comes up to you and says, you're a little lost, I'm going to help you out. Um, so let me just give you a couple examples on three different levels. One is a pretty um, day-to-day, a pretty shallow level. And I experienced this uh, this very week, actually. And I've talked about this before, but my problems haven't gone away. I am still cranky and negative much of the time. And this week, I was cranky and negative yet again. Even though I'm so happy to be here in Berkeley, I really do love, if, you, if I step back and, and if you ask me, I'm like, yeah, I love my life. I could list you all these things I really like. But in my day-to-day life, I'm often thinking about something negative. And so that was happening this week. I was riding my bike, and I think I was irritated about the wind. I mean, to be really honest, that sounds lame, but it's true. I'm like on my bike, and I'm like, I hate this. I have to go against the wind. I'm trying to like not drive my car that I could be driving. I'm trying to have a lesser carbon footprint. But now I'm in the wind, and now I'm going to be sweaty when I get to my meeting, and then that's going to be embarrassing. And so I was like, and I, it wasn't like I was obsessed with it, but I, could, I was just kind of, that's what you're thinking about as you ride your bike. And into that moment, I felt God saying like, you're not as happy as I mean you to be. I'm like, oh, yeah. That's right. And I felt, like, I felt like God inviting me into thankfulness. Not in a hokey kind of Christian-y way, I guess, but just like, there's a lot of good things out there. Why aren't you thinking about that right now? You know, it's like God saying, you're a little bit off. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I did just, and for the rest of the bike ride, I was like, I like that princess flower. I love this architecture here in Berkeley. I'm very happy to be meeting with this person I'm about to see in a minute. And it just kind of shifted. And so I think there's this sort of conversational relationship with God that's present to us if we're open to the correction that can come, to be like, you're off track. And if, if we're fragile to the point of like, I don't want to hear that, that's criticism, that's so hard to hear, we're, then I would have just been miserable and cranky that morning. But because God could enter in and say, mm, get back, I was able to do it. And that's a way that God was present and live in my life, just in a, in a small way this week. I feel like I've experienced that a lot in my life as well, even around, and I've, again, something I mentioned before, doesn't go away, my sort of struggle with ambition and, and how sometimes I'll do things for a motive that appears pure, like I'm going to be pastorly and give a sermon or I'm going to write a book or whatever I'm going to do. And that can be, sometimes there's ways that God says, like, is this really about loving somebody or is this about becoming more famous or seeming more important or getting other people's respect? And I feel like there have been many times, like sometimes I'm like, God, should I take the job or not? 
and God sort of speaks to your motives and makes it right. There are other times when God just kind of breaks in and says, this is about you, isn't it? Like, yeah, kind of is. And there are ways that, I mean, I still struggle with this. This is just sort of one example, and I think you all can relate to this, right? There are ways God says, like, I want to free you from ambition. I want to give you the shalom of love and of Dig, and, and working for the dignity of other people and not like seeking your own thing all the time. Just like I want to give you the shalom of thankfulness instead of crank, crankiness and negativity. I think being open to, to, to passages of, you know, like the challenges, like stay away from idolatry, there's life in it if we can hear it. Because I think we can trust God, that God is the kind of guide that has our best interests at heart. God is the kind of guide that's going to bring us back on the path because God loves us. And I know it's hard to hear because we've received so much like maybe negative criticism from our family, from our places of work. And so it's easy to then project that on God, right? And it's easy to hear any kind of negativity or challenge as a condemnation of me. So this is something to really work through. And how do we hear that? Uh, more than just the kind of personal, like I'm my heart is now right with God. I think being open to hearing this kind of challenge, this kind of prophetic challenge that we see in Isaiah 57, it actually opens us up and frees us from blind spots we might not otherwise be free from um, if we don't filter that out. So honestly, like a big issue for me right now in my faith, as I, you know, as I, a big challenge, I guess I would say, in my faith is, you know, it comes out of our last sermon series on racism and as we think about race in the United States. And as I look back on the church, and as I ask, why is it that so often um, the church in the United States has not spoke out against racism? And I do, I wonder, like, where, is the, where was the prophetic word in those places, right? Where is, where is the Isaiah voices speaking out against racism in the past? And it makes me wonder, like, am I, do I have blind spots that I just can't hear from God? Is, can, can I be free from being complicit in these structures of injustice that are around? That are around. Like, what, could, what would that look like? And so I look back at church history, and a lot of times I do see silence and complicity with racism throughout the United States. And I say, like, where's the church? Where were those words? And so it's been important for me to find counterexamples, especially as a white man, uh, like white men in the past, where the word of God has been really powerfully active uh, where the Word of God has challenged people and they've really responded. So I'd just like to share with you the story of someone who has sort of received the prophetic word like Isaiah did, and his name is John Woolman. Uh, probably never heard of him, but that's, that's too bad, actually. John Woolman lived, he lived for about 50 years in the period right before American independence. So this is what a time when white folks in the United States were not speaking against slavery at all. Nobody was. Like William Lloyd Garrison and all the other abolitionists, that's like a whole generation later. And so this guy was a Quaker, which, mean he had a, which meant he had a very intimate relationship with Jesus, and he expected to hear from God on a regular basis. Kind of the same kind of stuff we talk about in this church, that like we can actually hear from God, we can have a conversational relationship with Jesus. And so in his journals, he, wrote, he writes something like... Um, you know, when I was a young man, I experienced many fresh and heavenly openings. I love that, this sort of opening of God's word to himself. And so he would begin to hear from Jesus. And this, was, this, this little uh, line from him is sort of paradigmatic of the way he, hear, he heard from God. One time in his journal, he wrote, The Lord has been, had been very gracious 
and spoke peace to me in the time of my distress. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like Isaiah, right? He spoke peace to me in the time of my distress. And I, and I now most ungratefully turned again to folly. At times I felt sharp reproof. Does that also fit, sound like Isaiah? Reproof is like where you get rebuked or you get told, you know, what you're doing wrong. You know, you get smacked in the head. I felt sharp reproof, but I did not get low enough to cry for help. So he's like wrestling with God. And this is as a young man. And as you read through his journal, he's like so earnest and intense. And you really can see how he can hear from God. He can both hear God challenge him and he can hear this kind of comfort. And it was this beautiful sense of just, you could, you could totally sense that just as he needed comfort, like he would go to God and he would wrestle and he would get this comfort. And when he was off track, like God would grab him and he would bring him back in the right place. So cool. And it's so intimate. It's so subtle, right? In this journal, you get the workings of the Holy Spirit of God in a person's heart, like hundreds of years ago. It's a really interesting take on things. But what I find so striking about John Woolman is not just, oh, he had a neat relationship with Jesus. But he was one of the very first people to stand up and in public just say, race-based slavery is evil. This is wrong. Nobody else was saying that. But he had these openings from Jesus that allowed him to see these blind spots that other people weren't seeing. And you can watch it happen. You can, you can see how intimately it was connected with his, with his prayer life. Remember how last week we talked about it's important to both maintain justice and like meet God in the house of prayer? That's exactly what John Woolman did. And so God eventually led him to leave his job and to go around and to just find other Quakers, other people of God like him. And he would just say like, uh, I think we need to say no to slavery. I think this is evil. And he began to write things. And he would like, you know, sometimes he would stay in someone's house uh, where there were, you know, there were slaves present and he would actually leave in the middle. He would say like, I can't stay here. And he began to be aware that much, uh, much clothing was dyed with slave labor in the West Indies. And he would like, I'm not going to wear that stuff. So he was totally unfashionable. It was like the first clothing boycott. So he was very, he looked very odd. He would walk around with undyed clothes because he'd be like, I'm not going to wear anything that's made without free labor. And uh, he really began to move the needle. Everybody thought he was weird, but people began to, and he actually had a very gracious spirit. People began to think like, yeah, maybe, maybe there's something in this. And so he almost single-handedly introduced the conversation among white folks in the United States that maybe we need to rethink this slavery thing. And as you know, it's a very long story. But it's just so encouraging to me to see that that part of the word of God to him was not filtered out. Because of these openings, these ways that he was open to Jesus. Because he was not afraid to hear pretty harsh rebukes. He, was not, he did not censor that out. He did not filter that out. And I, I know that for so many people, I just think, who are all these nice Bible readers who would be slave owners? What was happening? They were filtering out the word of God. John Woolman didn't do that. When God had something strong and harsh to say to him, he said yes. And he experienced a freedom that was actually literally prophetic. He became a prophetic, he became a prophetic voice in the United States. And it changed our whole country. So here's, I mean, here's just one example from the rest, some of the rest of his journals. Uh, he says, many slaves on this continent are oppressed, and their cries have reached the ears of the Most High. Such are the purity and certainty of God's judgments that he cannot be partial in our favor. There weren't too many folks saying stuff like that at the time. A truly prophetic voice. That's the kind of prophetic voice that I want 
in my day, in my era. That's the kind of freedom from blind spots in my own personal life and in our broader world that I want and that I want for all of us. Um, so let me ask you, um, how are your filters? You know, how, I think we all long for this kind of relationship with God. We long to hear from God. Um, can you hear the encouragement and the comfort of God when God wants to give it to you? That's really important. Some of us just hear the harsh stuff. You know, on the other hand, right, some of us have maybe have a relationship with God where we just expect God to smack us upside the head, and we can't hear the comforting side. We actually have a filter that filters out the comfort of God. And if that's you, I would really encourage you to, like, receive prayer today for that, because God wants to amplify the range of his voice to you. Um, I would encourage you to talk to somebody this week. And, I mean, that's a really sensitive personal issue, but imagine the upside. God has a comfort, there's proof in Isaiah here. God has constant comfort for you. Um, and there, there's more, I just believe. But how about the other side? Some of us have filters in which, like, it's pretty hard to hear any challenge. And it just so happens that we don't really hear that kind of thing from God. Maybe we steer away from those kind of passages. Maybe if we got to Isaiah 57, we'd be like, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 children of adulterers, like, ah, peace and comfort. And we'd stay right there. You know, maybe some of us could experience some deeper freedom by hearing the prophetic challenge of Jesus in, his, in our lives. Maybe we're off the path, and maybe we could get back on the path. So if that's you, if you could recognize that pattern in your life, again, I'd encourage you to come up for prayer uh, at the end of this service tonight. I'd encourage you to talk to a friend. I'd encourage you to, like, seek spiritual direction, because the upside of this is John Woolman-like. Right? Who knows what can happen when the comfort and the challenge of God come together in our lives? It's a beautiful thing, but it's a hard balance to, it's a hard balance to find because simply our human relationships have been so skewed. Right? It's a rare, like how many of our parents, I know I'm not this good as a parent, to get that balance of just like comfort and challenge, to get that just right. How many of our parents have done that? Or how many of our relationships are like that? But God is like that. We can trust God to get that balance right in our life. And my prayer is that we as a community would do that for each other too. Right? Have you ever been to a sort of, uh, sorry, if you're new to, to the kind of church, churchy stuff, sometimes we like to get together in accountability groups where we just kind of support each other's spiritual journeys. Those are interesting too, right? Sometimes you have like all challenge accountability groups, right? You like confess your sins and people are like, you got to get with it. And they kind of give you a little pep talk every time. Right? And then on the other side, there are these accountability groups which are just like all lovey-dovey and forgivey, right? Like, yeah, you know, I cut some people off and I had a DUI and I like, you know, I did a hit and run and people, that's okay. Jesus loves you, brother. That's okay. You know, whatever you say, they're like, that's okay. You know, there's like no challenge. Even as a community, sort of, how are we formed by Isaiah so that, you know, we'll be like, man, I think I need to say the hard thing to this brother. They need to hear it. And I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just being judgmental, but I'm going to risk saying it. Or, and we're also sensitive to know, like, man, this sister, she just needs some comfort. Man, I'm going to speak that into her life. How can we be that way more with each other? Um, I think the first way we can do that is by getting it from God, God's self, and then that flows out into each other. Um, so I think that's the call for Isaiah 57 for us this week, to receive, I guess, the full spectrum of comfort and of challenge from God. So I hope you have a week uh, 
uh, in which you hear from God in all of those ways. Uh, I'd like to have Erwin and Derek come up now, and I'd like to just continue um, to open our ears and to open our hearts to God um, in worship this evening. <laughs> 